All right, we're live. Okay, what's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation 69, calibrated if you know the joke. Um, today we have a special guest, Taylor Gish. Uh, but first, don't forget, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. Our numbers have slowly been going up for the podcast, so we're super excited about um, how the, the information's been spreading. We've had some dynamite guests. Um, Cass, I know you know the schedule. Uh, we got some bangers we'll talk about at the end of people coming up this week. But the streak continues. Without further ado, Cass, why don't you help everybody out and, and tell a story about how you know Taylor and, and why you got him on here. Well, Gene Larkin told me that I need to quit talking about my stories. So I know this guy. He's a great strength and conditioning guy from the Twin Cities um, back in Minnesota. So Taylor, I always say this. Maybe this is only funny to me or relevant to me, but Give us your LinkedIn profile bio. <laughs> um, I think I the last time I updated my LinkedIn profile bio, I think I was trying to be too cute with it um, for where LinkedIn was at the moment. And so I had some grandiose statement about performance from a 30,000 foot view. Uh, I'm a husband, father, strength coach, kind of in that order. And uh, I really enjoy... Um, I think probably the, the crux of what I do and I know what you guys do too is I just help seeing people excel to the best possible abilities that they um, are capable of or that they didn't know they were capable of. And I like that model of coaching and the, the name where coaching came from that like a stage coach, you take people places and that, that's a super humbling part of our job. And uh, I love jamming and riffing about it too. So I'm excited for today. Yeah, Appreciate so you, you coming on. So just a little, the things that I know about Taylor, um, are you a state champion right now? Uh, I am currently, well, maybe COVID hiatus, but I am currently on hiatus from my, my weightlifting career. So yes, I have a, I have a little bit of a background in uh, Olympic style weightlifting. I competed uh, locally and nationally for about five years. Um, yeah, people always joke and say, well, were you training for the Olympics? Cause it's Olympic weightlifting, but, um, I'm about as good as, um, as, as someone who can just kind of peripherally hang on a national level that that was where I was but uh um so no 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 defending state champion right now I, I took a hiatus um, but you did you did win state didn't you uh yeah that that's definitely in the repertoire and they updated the weight classes uh 2000 that would have been 14 through 17 maybe uh two or three year run there um so I was in the 105 kilogram class. Everything is metric in weightlifting. So, uh, and snatch, clean and jerk for a combined total. That's the sport of weightlifting, which was a nice segue for me after a collegiate career in track and field. I was a thrower. So, yeah, weightlifting was fun. Well, I, I, I try and get back to about once a year, um, train for a comp. Yeah, so I, I met um, – our Friday guest is Michael Pilhofer, who – Oh, awesome. Uh, was – yeah, so he's coming on on Friday. Um, so that's how I met Taylor. And just a little, I mean, I just know that I was always looking over my shoulder going, huh? <laughs> you snatched that? And then also, like, we, I mean, I remember, I will never forget this. And I know it's out of context. So this is not what he meant. But I asked Taylor if, like, he warmed up or foam rolled. He's like, I just kind of pick up the weight and go. Like, if foam rolling actually worked, like, gosh, we'd be really frail. And I, I know that there's more to it than that. And I'm, and I'm, you know, please defend yourself if you'd like, but no, at the same can... time, yeah. But at the same time, it's been very enlightening, enlightening for me to think, you know, and use that. Um, 
like I'm I'm pretty willing to to think about things a little bit differently, you know. And there is something to the was it Dion or no? I think it was uh, Ken Griffey. I mean, I'm sure they've all said it. Like, does a cheetah warm up before it you know goes out and hunts? Like that whole thing. So, anyway, that's kind of my you know big little little recap of how I know Taylor is I was I was training at the gym that he was tr- uh, coaching and training at and um, we've just kind of had a professional fun relationship from afar so never never, never hung out never drank a beer nothing yeah it's purely <laughs> anyway, professional th- and that's fantastic so um you're at I don't know where you want to start Taylor if you want to get yeah, background so- into like um, you know, how you got into this or what? Yeah. So, um, Cass gave a little bit of a, a background there. I, I started, um, in, I guess you could say the fitness space about a, a little under a decade ago, um, working either in why? private. Why did I start in the fitness industry? Um, I think I was a mediocre to slightly above mediocre athlete who saw physical preparation as the part of the performance paradigm that I was best at. And so initially I was like, well, why don't I just, you know, I I liked athletics and I liked coaching, but I was better at the weight room than I was at the sport. And uh, so that led to, you know, your classics, you know, muscle magazine subscriptions, deep forum dives, YouTube subscription, like just all of kind of the, uh, the early parts of, of fitness fascination and, and fitness passion. Um, and I quickly realized once I actually got in front of, because things change when you actually coach people, right? You think you have all this knowledge and then you try and uh, truncate and package that to a, you know, a nine-year-old kid who just wants to get better um, or have fun. And I quickly realized that that process of uh, changing information to understanding uh, for real humans was the most fulfilling and rewarding part of coaching for me. So, uh, got into coaching, uh, worked in the private space for, for six years. Your guest on Friday can elaborate on what he does there. I worked for Michael and his business MSP fitness, uh, for six years in the private space and then had an opportunity two years ago to go back to my alma mater and become uh, head strength and conditioning coach at a division three school called uh, Northwestern. So university of Northwestern, St. Paul, I do all of the physical preparation and weight room work and uh, agility and speed work for our uh, 18 varsity sports, anywhere from women's lacrosse to football to basketball to volleyball, um, soccer, baseball, softball. We have um, we have your typical lineup of kind of North American Division three sports. And uh, and that's an awesome opportunity. I work with about 450 student athletes, depending on the, uh, the calendar year, uh, ranging from I mentioned just a brief amount of sports, but ranging from a uh, quite a bit of training history, if they happen to come from an elite or more preparatory club or high school experience, to very high-performing athletes that have almost zero training history. So it's it's a fun balance, and it's a it's a mix mash of talents and abilities. But the Division Three model is, is super exciting, and I'm I'm really humbled and uh, glad I have a, a ability to work um, at that level. John, I'm curious what you're thinking over there because I, I can go on all day. You got any questions or thoughts about his path? Um, could you elaborate elaborate a little bit more on like where you got started? Like, mm. you know, what what was the inspiration? I, I find the catalyst to a lot of people. Like, you know, I broke my elbow, and then now it just sparks this 
true sure. life rant of like throwing, you know? Yeah. And like Michael is a certain place to start. Like that's not just starting anywhere. For sure. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll hit uh, your question, John, and then hopefully it leads to answering Cass's. So I was um, I was a I was very privileged as a kid to have uh, parents who were willing to kick me out of the house. Um, and so I spent a lot of time playing outside and running around and had very much a speaking of childhood, nice. I had very much a, nice. uh, a latchkey childhood, which allowed me a variety of physical experiences. Um, uh, and as I got into organized physical experiences, AKA sports, um, I, I enjoyed a bounty of those as well. Played baseball, played soccer, did flag football, and then quickly landed on uh, track and field. And uh, I think what I liked about track and field was the objective. Um, I You're knew, from Nebraska, aren't you? I am from Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, born and raised, corn fed. Uh, different life. It, it, is, it is a different life. Uh, I, you notice I'm no longer there. Um, so <laughs> the, That's the, hilarious. Um, that, that kind of rabbit hole down track and field, a very measurable and objective sport, which fit my type A personality. I quickly realized that the weight room was a similar endeavor. And so my first experience with, uh, with, with actually training, not just doing the sport, but, but physical training for a sport was um, my parents getting me a, a, a membership to like the local YMCA or racket club. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I, I heard somewhere that three sets of 10 was good. And so I did three <laughs> sets of 10 on every machine in the building on my first day. And, and I was like, this is, this is great. Uh, I, I immediately was addicted because, you know, it was all um, selectorized machines. And so I was like, well, maybe if I come back tomorrow and I try one more, one more key down on the selectorized machine, like one more plate, I could put just a little bit more on. And, and I, that whole entire summer um, was like just walking around and watching other people. I was this, you know, kind of scared little frail 15 year old boy. And, uh, and I, but I absolutely loved it. And so catalyst moment for me, John, was seeing that objective, measurable um, part of improving, um, not just performance, but just improving oneself. So um that, that, that was super, spe super awesome. Specifically, do you mean like what you saw your body was like or like the numbers and how things were improving? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Uh, God love puberty, right? So, I mean, I, I told you I started lifting at 15. I got better not because my methods were great. So if a young person's listening to this, don't do three sets of 10 on all the machines. Um, have a variety of physical experiences. Um, yeah. But 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 it was but it was just the fact of you know I'm a kid going through puberty living in my parents' house where they'll feed me, and I and I and I saw a lot of success from that not not from the three sets of ten or the the, the silly selectorized machines. Don't only do three sets of ten. You could Correct. do three sets of. 10. Oh, you very well could. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I think but not on I, every machine. You know not on I mean? every like machine. Yeah. 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 What was that? What was that workout like? Like how long did it take you to adductor abductor? I mean, I think it was one of those things where it was close enough. And this was probably even the bigger benefit. It was close enough to my house. I could bike. And so I would just bike there and I'd hang out and bike back. And I, I don't even remember you got, you know, you look back on your own childhood. What was time? 
right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. What was uh, the, you're right? Totally. The part the part that I the part that I think I, I look back fondly is having the privilege to have parents who were just willing to say like support. I mean, they they worked and they did the best they could, but they were willing to support that financially and they were willing to encourage that and just say, Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll drop you off or you can ride your bike or whatever. Get out get out of the house and do something. <laughs> whatever you want to do, right? Yeah. Totally. That's hilarious. I, I resonate with that a lot too, because I was a uh, as much as a tech video game nerd as I am, I still had a big rule set in the house and I had to leave and go. And I fell in love with the game of baseball, basically playing tennis ball, baseball in my backyard. Oh, nice. You know, a piece of plywood and a black spray painted strike zone that, you know, caused all the controversy. (laughs) And, and, um, so hearing that, you know, one of the things that I really wish I t- was better judgment on was I had so much mis- misinformation about lifting or not mm-hmm. lifting and whether you're, you know, baseball players don't lift, you know, and, yeah. and there were kids that were just so much faster than me. And, and um, why was I not fast? Well, I'm just, I'm just not a fast guy. That's just not, that's what mm-hmm. I've been told. You know, I was told that, well, you, you know, you got to hitch you know, a trailer hitch to you when you're running. No, no one really explained to me, well, if you actually just work on your technique or sprint more, like as simple as that sounds, right? Yeah. There's going to be some form of benefit there, you know? So, yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, it's this weird razor's edge between, um, and I mean, that's coaching, right? Is like, you know, when you're, when you're the power broker of information and you're tasked with transferring that, I think so many of us have been impacted negatively by someone who, who didn't broker that information responsibly or, you know, doled too much of it out, overcued, overcorrected, made you, John, overthink in that moment of, well, maybe I'm not who I think I could be or have goals to be. And there, there's so much power in, in inviting the athlete or the young person into the decision-making process and just probing and asking questions versus uh, a business of, of telling so totally that that right there is hands down like that's where it's like you know i I just couldn't put a i haven't articulated it that well but that's like the people that i'm seeking out right the kind of people that like had this experience that motivates them enough to go it is my i mean i don't like duty is not the word but it's like my responsibility to not screw you up Right. And, and along the way, we're going to make mistakes, but um, it's just so much about that transparency and, and there's a, there's a right way to do it. Right. Cause you can't walk around being like, I, I don't know, maybe I don't do Yeah. You should throw maybe, right. You have to be decisive. Right. And you know, you, we, uh, before we were talking or before on the podcast, we were talking about um, Chris Hartman at Hamlin. And I remember vividly uh, we had a, uh, we've, we've had limited conversations and one of them was, Cast the best that I can do is do the best that I can for this semester right now. And I want all of my athletes to buy in as hard as they possibly can. And usually I'll get halfway through that semester and go, what in the heck was I thinking? And then I just, I don't, I don't let, I don't let my athletes see that, but I then start preparing for that next semester or that next training block, taking those things that I've learned into consideration and, and just the humility in that I think is just, is brilliant. So, you know, I don't know where I'm going with, but you, you let's let's go, Taylor. You you did go to Northwestern, and that Division three experience is something that kind of was a catalyst. So, want to go there? Yeah, sure. I I I mentioned growing up in Nebraska. I wanted to get out. Um, if anyone who's listening or you guys have ever been to Nebraska, it's normally a place people drive through. Well, I lived there for eighteen <laughs> years, so 
it's like it's like living at a rest stop for 18 no i'm kidding it was i love it it was <laughs> it was uh, Link, lincoln's a wonderful lincoln's a wonderful town and i can joke about it because i grew up there but uh it's a uh it's a place that i knew i at least wanted to get out of for four years and go see the rest of the world or see see some part of the rest of the midwest so i made it as far as minnesota and uh and went to a small yeah small liberal arts college in the upper midwest um who I looked how'd for you, a place. How'd you come to that? Oh yeah, I had a buddy whose older brother uh, met a, a recruiter at like one of the college fairs, and then he ended up liking it and went there. And so he was kind of my in. Um, I had some cousins that had gone to um, like smaller schools in the Chicago area, and so I kind of knew of like just based off looking at who competed against who, because um, because doing track was was very much an interest of mine. Um, but I also wanted to go to a place that had some type of human performance or kinesiology major and Northwestern fit the bill for that. So um, it was, it was, it's a beautiful little campus up in uh, the suburbs of St. Paul, Minnesota. They got this kind of peninsula feel and uh, they, the college actually juts out into a lake. So it's, it's very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very, uh, the, it's, it's an old Jesuit college. So it's beautiful, these beautiful buildings and stuff. And I just fell in love with the place and um, uh the moment I was up there, um, and and so yeah, the four years there of of learning in the classroom was certainly awesome. But just being in the metro area where there is kind of uh, a, it's own, it has its own physical culture. Uh, Twin Cities does. There's so many bike trails. There's so many people interested. Certain fitness terms are just household nomenclature. Um, and and so with that, I was graduating college in 2012, kind of when. Um, I would say CrossFit and like strength studios, a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some self-defense. Those things were already big, John, out on the West Coast. You would know that. But they were starting to kind of make their way uh, eastward and, uh, and, and, and starting to make their way towards the Midwest where, um, where a lot more people were saying, hey, I'm willing to pay money to have someone teach me how to squat, teach me how to do a power clean, teach me how to do a kettlebell swing. And, um, graduating in 2012, that was just where a majority of the jobs were. So as much as I had intended upon graduating, uh, and then finishing up an internship at the university of Minnesota, as much as I had intended, Hey, maybe I'll find a GA or maybe I'll find an assistant strength coach position. Um, those things just weren't as available, um, coming out of the kind of 08 recession universities weren't doing a ton of hiring. And so, but the private space, maybe not even worth your time either. Like that that was my biggest decision on it. You know, what do they call them? 80, uh, 80, 40 jobs, 80 hours a week for 40 K a year. I'm fortunate that my dad really explained that idea to me. And I remember like thinking about going into being a GA after I'd graduated but like this is before the relationship with the school had been ruined. That's another story for another time. But but that's when I was like, well, that that sounded like something that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be around the game and be coaching of something. But, you know, a lot of people don't know about that decision. And, and you know, is that the did you take that route? Is, is that how you I went? didn't or? No, I didn't. And, and you would you wouldn't uh, infuriate me or offend me for speaking some truth into that route. I, th- I think in coaching, especially in the collegiate space, whether that's strength and conditioning or sport coaching, there's some brokenness with, with that kind of whole pathway. Oh, um, for sure. hundred percent. And that, you know, I, I have some close friends who are, who are currently chasing that pathway. And, and the frustrating thing is it's not necessarily about capabilities, but it's about who's willing to survive. Um, that yeah. kind of makes it to the top of the resume stack. 
Um, and then that yeah, person, it's the guy that's willing to like be the guy that waters the field and then drags it, does all the cleanup, also does all the extra work and the early work, you know, does yeah. the laundry, you know, it's, it's aggressive, an aggressive, um, job to be a GA and not get paid and have to survive just for some form of like, I'm going to pay for your school situation. Right. Like it's and, just such a grind. And the, and the, individuals who are suggesting that that type of pathway should continue when you really get down to it are pretty much suggesting it on the basis that that it's because that's the way they were brought up, which is yeah. never a good model for, for, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, professional development is going to be this way because why well, did I had to pay my dues or I had to cut my teeth um, versus trying to offer a sustainable career um, and a future. That's, that's a good point because that's where a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the really good coaches um, that, that, or the kids who want to become that coach, like you just get start, you know, stared off because you got to, you know, work at a bar or, you know, yeah. deliver pizzas or whatever you got to do in whatever spare time you have, because they're not, they don't, they, they expect you to be there 24 seven, not like right. you, you, you can't survive. So, yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, an interesting way to do it. I know that the school that I was at, they did clinics and camps and lessons sure. all the time to survive. And some of the guys actually did pretty well, you know, but those guys that did well, it was like their fourth year, you know, right. and if you're looking do, at like, do, do lessons in track and field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially right? group ones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. So I well, think, yeah, it, fa facing that landscape, I can't, and, and that reality as, as it became a clearer picture to me um, just became less of a possibility. I was getting married. We were going to like be in the cities. The prospect of traveling halfway across the nation as a poor college graduate was just not a reality um, to put myself up someplace for, for coaching. And so, so I just started uh, tossing out resumes like hotcakes um, and uh, I don't need your podcast on Friday with Michael to, to be how he knows your podcast you know, uh, guest from episode 69, but, but essentially Michael, uh, got one of my resumes and cover letters, cold Turkey deleted it. And, uh, thank God that his wife Vaughn, um, had the email on backup on their home computer. And she happened to see it before it went to the trash. And uh, she was like, Oh, you should call this kid back. He, uh, like, I think you'd really like some of the stuff in his resume, but he must've been one of 50, you know, custom resume and cover letters I sent out and I get them now too. And I try and be, I try and respond to all of them, you know, Hey coach, uh, you know, and I'm sure you guys get them as business owners too, volunteer mm -hmm. internships, unpaid internship type stuff. And it's, it's, it's a hard racket. So I was, I was happy she responded and it just so happened that Michael and I scheduled the interview. We hit it off and he offered me, um, an apprentice position. Um, and, and that's kind of how I got started in the industry from a gainful employment standpoint. I think that's so important. Like the, um, so on the flip side of that, right? Like we're almost talking about the same concept and the same idea, right? But with a completely different like understanding of where it's going, right? And the private industry is really starting to take over in strength training and, you know, even skill training of what we, what, oh, yeah. what we focus on and stuff. And so I feel like there's these two camps that go into it, you know, where you've got the private and then I, what, 
what would we call that? The, I don't collegiate public, or scholastic. Collegiate, yeah, yeah, scholastic. Yeah, I love that. Academic or whatever it is. So, you know, in the, in the strength training world, I guess the language is pretty equal. Like, I feel like you could go to a strength training coach, you guys could have a conversation mm. and you're not going to rip each other's head off, right? Like you're going to be able to see some stuff there and find some common ground, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would sometimes maybe, six, maybe not 60%. Yes. Yes. 60%. Okay. Well, then, even then in, in my personal opinion, I think that that number to the baseball skill world is mm. like five, five percent. Yeah. If we go, if we go to a school and start talking about throwing and some of the stuff, they're going to completely be like, get out of here, you know? Right. So, you know, that issue of, you know, academic or scholastic versus private seems to be an issue from really, I don't know, nine, eight, because it's, it's, you got to pick a lane on where you're going with it. Right. Where, where do you feel like is the most benefit in it for a, for a, for a kid? Like, do you feel, cause I feel like there's two different ways to go about it and I'll explain afterwards. So where, where yeah. do you feel like it's going to give you the best, the best run there? I think, I mean, context is everything, right guys. So it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to answer, but I, I'll do my best to give a little bit of maybe uh, thoughts on the matter. I think that if you can get, you know, quality education on weight room based activities, quality education on, you know, whether that's energy system stuff like physical conditioning or sprinting, if you can get some quality education from a skill standpoint at the high school or at the university that you're attending, um, fantastic. But I don't think there should be any stigma associated with during the summer, during the off season, um, pursuing a skill coach, pursuing a private strength conditioning coach, pursuing, um, you know, something that's associated with, you know, a lot of clubs that take place in the off season have their own dry land training or strength coach attached to them. I, I don't, and maybe it's because through mentors and through my time in the industry, it's not again, it's not my personal bend, but I have had to work hard to develop more of an abundance mindset. And I think that that is what's going to help all of us, all the rising tides in the Harbor, you know, or all the rising ships. Um, wow. Rising tide raises all ships. Jeez Louise. That's what's going to help elevate all of our earning potential and all of our longevity in the field versus infighting and bickering about, you know, um, whether it's techniques for teaching a kid how to throw or teach a kid how to hit, or even just ways to periodize and plan hitting and throwing or other skills associated with the sport. To me, if, if, if I'm in the private sector, if I can reach out to the school or the school can reach, you know, and Again, the school may not know that an individual has gone and, and done some work with a skill coach. So the, can the skill coach reach out and say, hey, I've done this, this, and that with um, with John, and and, and th th he's, he's gotten so-and-so better, and he really speaks highly of what, you know, you don't have to blow smoke up their butt, but like you can, I think there's some reciprocation and, and commonality that will help everyone in the circumstance or everyone in the situation versus this infighting that leaves a young person going like, well, who's actually right? My high school coach or my, you know, my club coach or, um, you know, my, the, the guy who helps out with town ball, like, like, you know, <laughs> they're getting so yeah. much information. Exactly. We can kind of just get over ourselves and stop concerning ourselves with who's right about the number of reps that are appropriate for 
you know, January for a pitcher to take during one session, right? Like, but that's the stuff that we tweet about and, and war over. So I, my, 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 my opinion, since you asked for it, would be to find some common ground um, so that the athlete at the center benefits the most. I, yeah, have, I think – Go no, ahead, Jess. Okay. All right. So I, I've, I've been doing a lot of research about this, especially, um, you know, the Bulls – Man, the Bulls from the 90s thing's on right now. Oh, it's a great it's doc. Awesome. Yeah. It's a great documentary. Um, I'm starting to find some of these correlations with some of the best athletes in the world that seem to have one or two voices that they really control through their entire career, right? Mm. Like Tiger Woods had like two swing coaches, I think it was, maybe three. Um, and then the, I think the whole reason why he changed was something to do with like some form of injury to that, right? Mm. And what in the baseball world, what we see a lot of is – you have a multitude of coaches, right? Mm. And so I felt like as growing up that it was my career, it was my arm, and then I was throwing. So I, I did a lot of like, I guess you I guess you could say bickering and fighting with some of my coaches and stuff because some of the concepts that I saw on TV, that I saw in college, that I saw in high school, the, none of those things matched up. So I started asking questions and doing stuff. And what I realized was, uh, now, right, of course, retro, right? If I would have yeah. just taken control and then been able to filter out some of the things of these these concepts that my coaches would would have given me and been able to be like, try to find whatever value I could from it and then apply it to my game, taking little pieces here and there. That's one of the things they talked about with Jordan where they said, you know, in his rookie year, he was so good because they had all these new um, coaches that had been around the game for so long. So they taught them all these little tricks about, mm. you know, different ways to attack the basket and stuff like that. And then they suddenly realized that he was learning some of these moves faster than anybody. And suddenly he had everybody's hall of fame moves, whether, you know, it was the, the fadeaway or, you know, all these other shots. Right. And if we can look at it that way, where, it, if, if there's one, if there's, you still got to be true to yourself, right? You got to be, you can't be a hundred percent coachable and follow someone into the deep end because right. you just don't know what's over there, right? It's way better for you to figure out what's over there and come back and try to use their guidance to, to try to be prepared for it, in my opinion. So, you know, it, it's interesting on, on the, the different things, like you're saying, where, where you see it also, we see it and, and it's a weird conversation to have with with parents and players where it's like hey honestly like and Cass says it all the time it's not really about what i say it's really it's really about what you're doing Leon. and then how do we all decide if this is actually working or not like how do we evaluate right. it to the point that is that it is effective yeah i'm much more interested in helping an athlete or a coach determine means of analysis than i am about you know fighting over the, the, the method it's, itself. Because if we're going to argue about the method, we need to be informed and analyze the method for what, for what it is or what happened, right? So, and, and that, what you said there, John, about empowering the athlete. I mean, if, if a young person's listening to this, you know, one of your guys' clients or, or someone who finds this, I think asking questions is, is the first place to go. And, and I, pr I pray that you got a coach that, that doesn't see that as, and it, part of it's your tact and your tone, like how you do it and how you say it. But asking questions to find answers is, is the only way that we achieve understanding, right? Is, um, and the, the second thing would be if you're a coach listening to this, don't, and I, I've been there, right? But don't take a question as um, like someone trying to undermine you. 
uh, don't take a question as, you know, so it, again, you got it. We're all coaches here. We, 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 we can look at this through a lens of there's people that will ask a question to waste your time or ask a question that you've already answered elsewhere. But what I'm getting at is continue to foster in that young person or in that person you're working with the, the question seeking or the answer seeking behavior, because that single trader behavior is why is one of the hugest benefits that we all get out of sport anyway. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's to your collaboration and, and, um, trust are really hard to build when you have these like big factions, university, uh, club and every, and there's, and there's Twitter wars and there's infighting, but man, if we could just move a little bit closer to an athlete centered model, where we look at the individual, help them ask the questions and maybe find some understanding for themselves. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's a wrong, wrong, uh, but only a win-win with, with going with more of that type of model. How does, how does fatherhood inform your decisions as a coach? Oh, geez, Cass. <laughs> it's, funny that you, it's funny that you asked that question too, because that's what I was thinking. I was thinking about the Bryce Harpers, like my dad and like, you know, really under that circle to it, you know, and that's what I was kind of alluding to. So it's, it's great. Cass and I do this all the time. Where we're like yeah. literally on the same brainwave. So please answer this. Cause I'm not. Uh, a father. Yeah. I mean, so I, I have three children. Um, I have a, uh, our oldest, he's five years old, our middle daughter, she uh, will be four this fall. So they're tight together. And then we've got a, about a year and a half year old. So, um, I would say that, um, Parenting is what parenting is to the individual. Um, and so, so much of your experience is just colored by what your experience is. Um, I think sometimes I get a little bit like uh, uh, a stiff army at people who say, oh, parenting is blank. And I'm like, no, man, parenting's what it is to you in the moment. And for me in the moment, I became a parent kind of right as I was starting to increase in my understanding of my own coaching practice and philosophy. And it colored everything. Um, especially as my kids came to an age where you're not just like diapering them and feeding them and keeping them alive. You're actually instilling values and you're trying to get them to comprehend these larger, um, these larger family values and these, these, these shared, um, these shared ideas. Abstractions. A hundred percent. And, and I think that, you know, you, one of my favorites, Jordan Peterson, talks about um, like how how complicated it is for a kid to know how to set the table, and how just like doing something as simple as that with your kids can like talk about coloring. Like it's, it's so many things they have to think about. Why the heck am I doing this? Right. <laughs> you know. And then yeah, and keep going. And then the moment you you know they're two or three years old and you do an activity like that, and the moment you think that you have that type of behavior or that. Uh, that trait solidified, it, it's really humbling how those things don't cross over. I used to think an example of this would be, I used to think in my naivete in coaching that um, if someone was having a hard time with some nutrition-based topics, I would try and find a part of their life that they were really successful at and try and make the correlation of like, oh, well, you're really consistent about like waking up in the morning and journaling for 10 minutes um, use that trait or behavior so you don't blow it on your, you know, your food choices at 1030 at night. But what I quickly realized with, with my own kids is that like traits and behaviors aren't, are so much more complex than 
than, than being able to just synthesize everything because you have one thing down and how you communicate and lead and guide uh, the people you work with, including your kids, uh, to those types of things requires so much more grace and appreciation for the complexity than I initially gave it. Um, to me, when I started coaching, people were just like a Rubik's cube that I just had to kind of crack it and solve it and to figure it out. And again, that goes back to my more type A objective math based mind, but, uh, but that, that's not people, man. They're every single interaction has an innumerable number of, uh, potential iterations and that thing's going to be different and it just goes on to infinity. So, uh, I think for, for, I don't want to get too 30,000 foot view so we can get back a little bit granular to your question. Like, I think being a parent, I'm just laughing. I'm laughing because can you guys tell why I like Taylor? Like, <laughs> uh, it's just so funny how you think, man. I love it. Well, I, Keep going. Uh, 30, I just, I just, I think if I, if I get back in a little bit granular, I think it's grace. I think the one thing that parent I've, I've, I've given myself because I'm definitely not a perfect person. Um, and so I've given myself grace. I've given my kids grace. I give my wife uh, grace and that just, that amount of slack creates an environment where, you know, we can, we can then have some structure, have some safety, have some boundaries. And then that is, 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 you know, okay, dad wants what's best for me, but he's also going to be gracious enough to not like mandate what's best for me. So, um, I might, you know, I might be, you know, short with my wife, Allie, you know, because I'm fatigued or tired, but she gives me the grace to know that like, that's not me acting my best self. And so I think when it comes to interacting with athletes, working maliciously to build some of that, like transparency and authenticity and let them, and let them know that you're who you are, but you're not going to be perfect at all times, builds this kind of culture of grace so that, um, so, so that, so that you can go somewhere off of that and build, um, and work forward from there. Okay. Well, so that, oh man, I just need to get away from that. Cause I'm just, I can't keep talking about that stuff. Cause it's so, it's so good. So, um, the, Hey, and no, no, too, the, here, man. I probably could have learned that from a bunch of other life experiences. I just happen to have kids. So like, it's not the, no, uh, it's not the no, only conduit to understand it. <laughs> no, no. I, I bring, I bring it up because I, I just, it's constant, like the, the comparisons back and forth. And obviously I can't, I can't know yet, but um, it's just, it's so interesting. Right. So if you go and have a conversation with the parents in the stands and that was like your way of evaluating the team, you'd actually have a really good understanding of the team dynamic very quickly. Right. right? So um, it, it's, it's really interesting how it's, I'm not quite so sure that it's that. Um, it, it really isn't. You, the more time you spend except, with an athlete, the the probably better picture you get on what like home life is. It, it just is. Yeah. Like, so it's, yeah. it's, and it, for the three of us too, it's why a manifestation of who we are goes, and I'm not trying to get Freudian with it, but it, who we are no, on a daily basis please. goes back to so much how you were raised and um, that we, we are a product of our environment, right? Uh, and, and certain amount of nurturing and naturing associated with that. But yeah, it isn't any wonder that how a kid shows up at a given session is, is says a lot about the home life. Yeah. yeah. I think it's well, important also to uh, you know, it sounds like I, I can speak for Cass and I know this, but Taylor, you too. It, it sounds like that the ability to show someone that you care 
um, and about the long term of what they're doing seems to be the most important thing for an athlete. And oh, yeah. I, I just remember distinctly through high school, through junior college, through four year ball, through even pro ball. Like you just get this vibe from some coaches or, or people who control your fate, general managers, and they just don't care. Right. right. It's a, such a performance thing. And they want to make sure that uh, the athlete understands this is a business and we're here to win and it's serious. And I just don't feel like that's the, the way to go about it. Like that's not, yeah. you know, there's no empathy. There's no love really to anything. You, you feel abandoned on an Island when you screw up. And yeah. I, I feel like the culture that we try to create at Cutter Nation with me and Cass and all Taylor and Brady and everyone there is like, we, we legitimately want you to be as good as possible because like, that's why we get all this technology. Cause like, I, I want to create a better environment than what yeah. I had and try to help you understand that anybody can do this. This is not that hard, right? Yeah. There's certain parts of it that are the most difficult part. Right. And those are the things that we strive to get to, but having a curveball and having a banger curveball are actually something that anybody can do. Right. It's just yeah. the matter of reps and the things that you go into it. And I'm sure you feel the same way about a quality power claim or, you know, what a snatch or a good squat and stuff. It's not right? rocket science. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not I really think, that. Yeah. I, th I think you guys being able to say that from the private sector is, is vastly important for all coaches to hear. And it being that one of the main constraints to your businesses is, is, is revenue, right? And in good, you know, good customer service, which is what coaching really is and viewing yourself as, a tool for retention and customer service and upselling at all times. Uh, and I'm not like a, you know, you know, capitalist monster or anything like that, but it, it helps uh, direct your behavior as practitioners to treat athletes well and to treat the young people who come to you well, because they're going to tell their friends and they're going to have a long career and they're going to be very fulfilled. And those families are going to, you know, talk about you and sing your praises the trouble sometimes in the collegiate space or even professional sports for that matter is you're a bit expendable, right? And we don't always view coaching as, as you know, it really is part of, it shouldn't be as, it shouldn't be. It's funny how in like a organization coaching should almost be more like the front office, right? Like you're, you're, you, you do a lot more with customer service and retention um, than you do with like, um, what we think is super important, which is sitting down and crafting out a 12 week plan for so, you know, so-and-so it's now it's, it's a little bit more about, Hey, like, you know, who are you dating right now? You know, what's your dog's name? What do you like to do? You know, what video game are you jamming on right now? Like what, uh, what new album have you listened to recently that you really enjoy? And so I, I try and just get into that stuff with my athletes and, um, and I'll be honest, like they'll say a game that I've never heard of, or they'll say an album from an artist that, I, I had no idea, but they just won a Grammy this year or something. So um, that's cast. That's cast for us. Cass, <laughs> check out this band. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so that's uh. So yeah, I. Uh, but to your point, John, letting them know you care. I, I don't know if in the in the collegiate space or professional space, um, our behaviors are, um, or have to be as focused on showing that care and compassion towards people. Um, because the nature of the, the, you know, there's always going to be a new recruiting class or there's always going to be a new crop of guys we're bringing up or there's, you know, where there's always going to be a trade or something. There, there's just, it seems as though people are expendable when truly they're not. Right. Yeah. True. Like I, I totally agree. I mean, the, 
The fact that I, I've I feel... heard those multiple times is so sad. Just it's sad that I've heard that so many times. Well, a lot of people, you know, these are our program values. You know, if if you don't if you don't like those, get out. You know, there's plenty of other schools you can transfer to. There's plenty of other, you know, places you could, you know, you could uncommit from us and commit to another place. Oh, you don't want to work, you know, and it becomes this kind of, it shames the athlete for asking a question or inquiring when in reality, they just, they just wanted a place to belong. You weren't and, even talking to me, Taylor. And I immediately was snarled. I was like, ugh, like just, you know what I mean? Cause that's just, you just don't have to be that guy as a coach. I don't, I don't, don't. understand. Like, one one of my best coaches I ever had was my pitching coach in junior college my first year. He was so real and honest with me about like where I was, but in a compassionate way. It was the mm -hmm. last year of draft and follow. I'm not sure if you know what that means, but they used to draft athletes and then you could sign up until the next draft. So they'd send them to junior college out of high school mm. And, and then you, they would all play in this league. And this league was unreal, right? I was the slowest throwing guy at 87. Everybody else was 93 to 100. It was crazy, right? It was absolute nuts to me, right? But to him, he's going, look, John, I brought you in. You're actually a pretty good pitcher, but you're just underdeveloped completely. You're weak. You don't throw hard enough. You don't, you've never really been around an everyday serious program like this. Like you need to give this thing, you know, a year and see what happens. And I put on like 35 pounds my freshman year. My velo went up like two or three miles an hour in one way, but in the same sense, it went down because they dropped my arm slot. So like there were <laughs> weird decisions and things that happened. But what I really, what I really figured out more than anything was the fact that this is, this is actually what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to be in a complete immersion into a baseball, you know, program that actually wanted to do that. And so yeah. the standard for me was just raised so much higher than what it was, you know? Right. And it's, it's, that's where when people, you know, I'll have an intern um, about one per semester and it's this, it's this type of stuff that we're discussing that I try and get them to appreciate that, hey, you don't have to be an expert on, you know, communication, creating lasting relationships, building trust right now, right? When I was a young coach, I was trying to read all of these training manuals or learn about the best program for building, you know, single leg strength. And, and what are the, what are the rep protocols and the work rest ratios I want for, you know, increasing speed? Absolutely spend your time doing those things. And I'm sure there's equivalents in the, in the game of baseball that, that people spend a lot of time in their younger years becoming aware of. But in reality, a lot of the, the multipliers, if I can use that word from a potential or um, success standpoint, are establishing relationships and, and building trust and giving people grace and being transparent, which not a lot of people have the tool sets for. Um, or want to spend the time getting better at, which is which is unfortunate for for how impactful sports is on a young person's life or all of our lives, and and how much more impactful it could be if if we worked on some of those more some soft skills or ethereal skills. I don't know if anybody could disagree with anything that you've said. <laughs> well, I, I um, don't know. I, I, here, so, here's what, here's what well, I could dis here's what we could disagree well, with well, is maybe a few well, of my coworkers could cop on and be like, you know. I don't think Taylor's as great at building relationships as he says he is. You know, he doesn't build very good relationships well, with me. <laughs> well, no, but <laughs> my point is this. is uh, So what I want to get to be, before we run out of time is uh, Taylor's fantastic and is, is if you can't be friends with Taylor, that's okay. But that's your problem probably. 
<laughs> so technically though like you are a technician so like, like let's not act like we're not the biggest geeks in the freaking world when sure. it comes to how people move and and get a little bit into that because you know you t- it's easy to say you know because I, I remember my younger self going, I know that I'm not fulfilling these relationships the, the way that I could, and I'm not quite sure what I need to do to do it. I'm trying, you know, I'm doing everything in my power to be where I'm at. It's just something that experience and maturity are, are going to foster, right? Absolutely. Um, but simultaneously, like for me, and I, and I wonder how much you relate to this, I had to know the ins and outs. Cause I sure. can't chill out until I do. So if I have somebody that comes up to me and says something that I have no idea about, hopefully I at least have the context to go, Oh, okay. This is kind of the sphere of understanding that they're coming from. Sure. You know, I don't need to know all of the details, but we, we kind of talked at the beginning of this is like the abstraction. Right. And that's what kind of coaching and parenting and kind of adulthood really is the abstraction. Um, and so we would have conversations with people. And I mean this, if you want to be strength and conditioning at six years old, do it. And let's talk about that. But like, you better understand how that, you know, is in context for a six-year-old. Do you know what that means to a six-year-old? Um, and yeah. So anyway, get off and kind of like get the technical side of it, you know, and, and where you see it being appropriate, inappropriate. Maybe the thing sure. I just said about being six is crazy. Well, I think I think will probably be most appropriate for our time left, and may, maybe the area that I might be uh, not geez, unique or slightly different is um, most physical preparation coaches or weight room coaches um, will use certain tools or modalities to, of course, get stronger, increase force, increase rate of force, so how quickly you produce that strength, um, and and I think that a lot of times will will latch on to a particular exercise. Um, you know, for instance, and I've seen videos like this out there that, you know, I'll say, you know, what's the best exercise um, to increase my VLO, right? And they'll talk about a total body exercise, you know, say something like a deadlift or a squat and be like, well, this is going to get you stronger. It's a great way to put on more muscle mass. Um, and, and we're telling young people this, which I don't think is like inaccurate information, but it's incomplete, Right. Because you and I both know the number one way to increase your VLO is to work on increasing your VLO, not go learn a new skill called deadlifting and get better at that skill. It's a completely separate skill. And so when I'm tasked with... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Time <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, time the, that's the smartest shit I've ever heard. Inaccurate, yes, because, not complete. Like, oh my oh gosh. My, dude, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Because that, we have this argument all the time. We have this argument all the time, right? And because I'll go, I'll go one step further outside of it because we have kids. We have this one kid. Um, he's a junior. He's a basketball player, right? He wants to play baseball. He wants to throw baseballs. He wants to rip baseballs. For some reason, in his head, his coaches have got into his head that he needs to be a multi-sport athlete and play basketball so it will help his baseball. And I go, hey, bro, right at the beginning, I go, hey, bro, how in the world? Is shooting a free throw going to help you throw a strike, right? I need you to understand that this is actually harder to do than shooting a free throw, right? So if you want to get good at throwing just beautiful backdoor two seams and cutters and sliders, you have to do it. There's no other way to, to become a master at throwing this ball exactly where you want to until you're working on the exact idea. 100%. And, you know, and then from that point, you can have a wonderful conversation about at what point do we want to specialize, which is totally contextual and 
um, might be up to the family and you guys kind of talking about that together. But the fact of the matter is um, you can't pull on, you know, two ends of a string and expect to, you're going to go nowhere, right? You, you know, you expect to pull it one. It's, it's just not going to happen. And so when you look at someone like myself who is supposed to make athletes better, but I essentially provide a whole list of um, secondary or tertiary skills to get better at. It's it's really funny how not 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 funny. It can be sad too in some sense. But but the drum that I essentially beat is you come and you do the stuff you do with me as a means of durability, and then I task it upon myself to say I got to push you back out, and 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 we need to do the least amount of work in the weight room as possible. Um, to make sure that we're robust and to make sure that we're durable, to make sure that we can, you know, if there's a certain volume for baseball, there's a certain volume of pitches that we need to be at by week one. What amount of um, work do we need to do, both from a skill standpoint, like literally building up reps, and from a durability standpoint? Um, maybe, maybe that includes weight room. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it includes loaded ball work. Maybe it includes light ball work. Like there is... To, to, to say that you own the market on getting stronger when there have been people that have gotten ridiculously strong and ridiculously good at sports in, you know, times before barbells were used commonly. Uh, I think if you're uh, unwilling to see that, um, then you might not have as much business using a barbell to get people stronger as you think, because it can quickly just become something that you do without any connected connectivity to the why behind you use it. So um, why I would use a barbell for me personally is I mentioned I have 450 athletes and barbells are long and skinny and you can put weights on the outside of them and you can fit a lot of them in one room. And so my why behind using a barbell is not because I think that a barbell is the uh, barbell back squat or barbell front squat or probably more commonly you're going to find us doing things like split squats and uh, RDLs than, than back or front squats. But why I might use that is because I can fit, you know, 15 stations in our 400 square foot weight room and I can move through a bunch of athletes on a similar apparatus. Um, whereas I may not be able to do that where I may not be able to do that with some of our, um, some of our sport specific, uh, movements, right? So it's really hard to fit, you know, that many pitching stations in a facility, right. Or that many mounds. Uh, so if we're viewing the weight room as part of the physical prep process, we got to be talking about, efficiency and transference, right? So um, what, how does your space constrain the movements that you're going to do? And then what movements are actually going to transfer to the game itself? That's, that's awesome. That, that's a great point. Cass, go ahead. 400 square feet. If you did not catch that, like what it's that, I didn't realize that their weight room was that small. That's small. Well, you know, we, it's small, it's small. And then we end up sharing it with the rest of the student body. So, um, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now most, hey, you know, this guy's trying I, to jump in. Yeah, the, the only reason I want to highlight that is because in Minnesota, for one, you have tons of baseball players that love to find ways to not throw a ball. And here it's like, you know, it, it, it rains for seven minutes and like, we're inside for the next three days, Yeah, you know? And, and so it's just like all contextual. It's like, Man, Taylor's one of the smartest, most com uh, you know competent people in the strength and conditioning world that I've met, and like 400 square feet, and 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 there was no negative connotation to that whatsoever. Just no. making that highlight. And in fact, I 
I don't know if I want to change it anytime soon. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. It would be nice to blow a few walls out and build a larger performance center that's uh, that's dedicated to just athletes. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, it really allows me an opportunity, kind of like this whole um, pandemic environment, to really analyze like what do I provide that actually matters? Um, what you know, what do I do that really greases the wheels? And uh, I'm pretty confident that like we can still get in the the high transference activities um, for the athletes that need to do them when they need to do them um, in a pretty small space. And it, it's going to take some scheduling. It's going to take some. Uh, um, I mean, just just to provide the listeners with a clear picture. So, you know, what what I'll do is um, every single week I schedule out. Um, lifts for teams. And then I post that schedule so that anyone who, you know, might be coming over there to use it as like a student rec and just get their bench on knows when the athletes are going to be lifting because a huge, uh, conflict in the past before they had a strength coach was, you know, two or three roommates might get together and be halfway through a workout. And then the entire softball team comes in and it's like, Whoa, <laughs> you know, it, any, any gym rat would, would hate that. So I've tried to be transparent with, Hey, this is what the schedule is. These are any changes to the schedule. Cause you know, and then they pretty much know that, um, that, that when the athletes are coming so they can avoid them. Second thing is I've just tried to put out like some general fitness tips for, for our other student athlete or our, not our non-athlete students, um, to show them that like, yes, I'm here predominantly for athletes, but I still care about anyone who comes in and lifts in this facility. So if you've got questions about um, technique or you want to see some stuff. So, so that has made my reality with the athletes easier. So I say 400, 450 square feet, like it's not huge, but, but we, you know, we, we get in, we got, we have four squat racks um, that have cages on both sides. So we can have eight, eight barbell stations going at a time. And, um, and not, I'm, I'm sounding like I only use barbells. Jeez Louise. I have a whole kind of space in the oh, middle yeah. where, where we'll do, we'll do a variety of movements that, that included loaded and unloaded exercises. So I, I'm a big um, natural movement and functional movement fan. So uh, we will try and get uh, athletes as dexterous and, uh, exploratory they'll hear me say a lot as they can with things like crawling things like bounding lunging um raising and lowering their body in time and space um to really create and i'll say this clearly a behavior that transfers to sport not always um the movements themselves right um there's nothing sport specific about a lunge per se but if i'm allowed to ramp up the intensity on a lunge, or I'm allowed to explore maybe where I put my foot at on a lunge, that behavior does a good deal of transference to sport versus saying that, well, lunges are sport specific. Cause I, I would argue they're not. I have a, how much time do you have by the way, Taylor? Uh, probably another 15 minutes or so. I, you know, okay. the only thing stopping me yeah. down is lunch. So my, okay. my own I, tummy rumbling I, will. Yeah, I didn't share that with him. He had, we had said, um, we'll see how it's going here. Yeah, let's let's try to be done in like ten more minutes for Taylor. Okay, because I have a complicated question. That's what. Oh, I, okay. I love it. Let's shoot. Okay, so it, programming wise, right? Sure. Um, we, I, I'm not the. This is my opinion, and this is what I've done. And Cass sure. has heard me say this, um, on ramping and throwing programs and lifting programs, right? I understand there should be deload and there should be things to that. Yep. Um, I was uh, very fortunate to see something happen. And I saw a 12 year old throw 90 miles an hour um, where I was in Mexico. It was a crazy, the kid wasn't the super freak athlete. He was very skinny, 
Um, he was like 5'11 for 12. But and but when I find out about what he's doing, right, and, and there's this happens all the time, by the way, down in down south, because they just they don't do the same kind of training methods. Like they don't stop, right? Mm. Um, and when I say that, this is this is the idea I have. Um, in Southern California, the word development is disguised in playing. 40 weekends out of the year. That's what it's disguised as. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. Like there is a tournament every weekend. You could play all the time if you really wanted to. Yeah. Um, and, and they just maximize because of the weather, right? I have always said that you can gain velo and lift at the same time, as long as you're being smart about how you're going through it. And this is where we've gone into our programming and stuff. So do you think that is the most effective way? If you're starting at day zero, and you need to work on, let's say an athlete starts at 80 and his goal is to get to 95, right? Right? Splitting up this stuff, could you comment on how you would do that? Um, let's say the athlete's a graduated, he has an unlimited amount of time in the day, right? And he knows that he needs to lift, he needs to run, he needs to throw, he needs to do his arm care, right? How would you do that as a, with your skill set and applying it to make sure it's going to be the most efficient for the athlete? Yeah. Um, provided they're coming to the same facility for both, uh, lifting as well as throwing, I'd probably just try and do combined sessions, you know, just so you, I mean, purely from a like schedule standpoint. Now, if they yeah. love hanging out with you guys and they could be there all day and you guys, they're not a pest to you. Maybe, maybe you could split up and have, you know, one day's uh, skill work, the next day's lift. Um, but I, I mean, I, I think combined sessions work out well. Um, just from a, like, I'm thinking of a young person in their schedule, like, you know, okay, I get in the car, I drive, like I, yeah. I can knock out everything in 90 minutes or two hours and then I can go home and I, I checked the box for that day. So my mind goes to combined sessions. So with combined sessions, from my perspective, the thing you have to probably be most considerate of is, um, is not necessarily your uh, intensity initially. Um, but probably more like, like I mentioned, some of those like qualities around dexterity and adaptability. So I might, I might, again, it would depend on their training age and stuff like to see a model where, um, you know, if you're going to have, let's say it's like three days that you're going to do some lifting or four days, you know, can you, can you allow for, um, a variety of experiences early on. So not just saying, well, we see a lot of good things when, you know, John goblet squats. So we're only going to goblet squat him. We, we know that, you know, from a force development standpoint and from a durability standpoint, especially that a variety of movement experiences while loaded will do more for durability than, um, than, uh, than just getting really good at one thing, which is the danger with any specificity. And if my specificity is going to be tapped out on my skill work, because we know that we're going to be doing a lot of pitching, I would probably try and vary my movement work a lot. So if I want to squat twice a week, make sure that they're not the same variation or make sure they're not the same uh, tempo or time under tension. Um, if I'm going to do some type of hip hinge or deadlift, trap bar deadlift, RDL, split stance RDL, single leg RDL, some type of hip work or hip thrust or single leg hip thrust, uh, don't double them up, vary it up. And I think the thing that people, this goes back to me as a young person hearing three sets of 10 somewhere. So just doing it, you know, since when can do we, you know, from a standpoint of building intensity, it is helpful to keep the movement similar, but 
well, again, we identified that the place we want to lean into our intensity is in our throwing, not necessarily in the physical preparation. We're mainly using that as a means to get stronger and more durable. So, so changing in every set, if I'm doing a goblet squat, could I change my feet set to set? Could I do a split stance and then change where my feet are at? Lunges work great for this because you could have, you know, one set is maybe a lateral lunge or one set is a reverse lunge. Then one sets a, a front lunge, or maybe it's the way I'm loading it. Um, you know, a lot of times in facilities, right. My, my, I mean, I mean, limited on equipment. I got, you know, so many dumbbells, so many kettlebells, so many bars, but can I change the way I'm loading it? So the first set is a kettlebell goblet squat. And I'm right here with the kettlebell. The next set, it gets instantly harder if I hold it out in front of me up over my forehead. Right. So I, I'm thinking about, yeah. I'm thinking about in the early day zero, you said day zero. Yeah, for sure. I mean, being the- a bit more bent towards movement variety. Um, and then as you get closer, um, then this would be like in a one-on-one situation with maybe a high level guy or gal asking them what out of those movements that were really, that were really varied. Did you feel like, man, that was, I mean, I'm sure you have these conversations with guys already. It's like, which pitch is your favorite to throw? Right. So you could ask them like, which, you know, which squat felt the strongest? Which, which, which deadlift variation felt, and maybe that's the one that when you switch to driving some intensity in the weight room, you allowed them to focus on for a period of time. I, it just fits into something. I mean, so I don't know exactly. I think this was Greg Rose, Kyle Bodie driveline. That's where the source was. But the idea that, you know, everything that you're doing from a, if you were trying to do strength and conditioning as, as a seven through 12 year old, you're really just like, you know, improving neurological pathways, not necessarily like hypertrophying, right? Where not, so, not at that, so not at you, that age. Right. So, so that, that's a, I hadn't thought about it in that way. So the benefit there is that like, that's what they want to do anyway. Like them having to do squats every single time they're there, like that, that is the least appealing thing that they can possibly do. Right. But if they did a lunge and then a different variation of a squat and then a different variation of a lunge, and then six weeks later, they remember, they come back to that same lunge that they did day one. And it took them that long to get there. Like now we're also like, gosh, these are the things that kids get off on. Right. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, I remember that. That's crazy. Look at how, look at my development. You know what I mean? And that's so much more impactful at that age than you're not going to get them to try hard. Right. And if you, I mean, if you consider neuro, I mean, neurological development, if I'm a young person, I want to make sure that my loaded or resisted or my movements are as varied as possible. And I know that's going to sound crazy because you're like trying to get better at one thing. I like, no, like I the basketball, like the basketball crazy at all. Well, <laughs> the basketball player who wants to be a pitcher and his parents are maybe giving him some resistance. I think playing basketball can help, but it's the emphasis that you put on the goal. Right. And, and, and I, I want to have a variety of movement experiences. If I'm a young person early on in my life, if I'm a developed athlete, and this would even go for high level guys or gals early in the off season. Right. To Cass's point of, from a neurological development standpoint, um, from proprioception standpoint, from a durability standpoint, looking at connective tissues, tendons and ligaments uh, being robust enough to handle. And let's be honest, pitching is a big thing to handle for the body. Um, you know, so can I can I handle a bunch of different types of movements and ways of moving, changing level, changing spaces? Um, that that to me, early in the off season. Um, or early in a ramp up um, or developmental period 
or early in life. And then we can get a little bit, we get to the top of that pyramid. We can be as specific as we want to, and we can just come in and we can do our skills work, a little bit of arm care and probably, you know, call it a day. But that, but that's, that's the end of the development or that, 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 that's, that's in season. Does that make some sense? Totally. Yeah. And, and from, just from the, my perspective. the basketball thing. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's, that's it's just always, where is, where is the best coaching? Where is the best influence? Where's the best environment culture? Like who is going to help you grow up the best? And if you have three to four different sports and coaches that like answer all of those needs, like, and you can do that, go do that. 100%. But, you know, I just think it's just at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, we talk a lot of the reason why I think I want to have these conversations is for our parents and kids to understand this is about weaponizing yourself, right? This is going into conversations equipped, um, being able to stand up for yourself when something sounds crazy. You know, sometimes you run into some crazy and you got to be able to to name it and, and know how to handle it. So, yeah, I don't have anything else, um, John. What are you thinking over there, man? Uh, Taylor, this has been great. I appreciate it. Um, the, just to summarize that last little question right here, it sounds like we're on the same page where, you know, a lot of people think you can't do both, right? You, you, you have to lift, right? When you get to the off season, we're, we're into year round throwing. Like I haven't stopped throwing in 10 years going on 11. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think there's just so much, you, you mentioned flexibility or adaptability earlier. Um, and I think that like, yeah, I, I know that some of these ideas, I don't know the exact phrasing of, but I do know that the state of elasticity of my arm when I'm throwing all the time is completely different. And I feel the same concept to when I'm squatting and when I'm not squatting, right? And it just feels like it's the same thing. Those depths, those range of motions, those movement patterns are just things that I always stay inside of. And so I just feel good, you know? Yeah, you're like, you know, you're like a DJ on a mix board. Like, you know, the volume's always on. Let's go. But like there are certain there are certain elements or certain um, sub elements in the audio that you're going to dial up or dial down. Right. I, I used to always think of it kind of like a video game avatar. Right. Where I get a certain amount of XP to drop into, you know, oh. power or decision making or what wisdom or whatever it happens to be. You now, so you're, just, about, you're about to get me going now because you don't, like, you don't just drop all the XP into the power category, right? You, you disperse it a little bit and, and you prioritize, okay, like what am I, you know, what's coming up? Oh, I have this big developmental period that's coming up. Okay. I'm early on in that. I'm going to experience a lot of movement variety. I'm going to experience um, a bounty of, of drills and exercises. And then uh, sure enough, as soon as I get towards the end of that developmental period, things are going to look a heck of a lot more like throwing baseballs. Uh, at a high speed, at a target, with hopefully a batter, right? Because because that's just the end of that inevitable pyramid, um, if if that makes sense. So no, I think those qualities can and should be trained at the same time. It's just which one takes predominance. And maybe for parents and athletes and uh, coaches, it's helpful to think of it like dials, right? One's going to dial down, but you never turn it off. You know, I, I don't want uh, right right now is the off season for basketball for us. I don't want my guys to not uh, shoot or not play. Right. Um, but I don't want them playing full court five on five. So, uh, so, so how do you, how do you get slices of the game as, uh, as in cast knows these guys, my friends at emergence, uh, Tyler Yearby, Sean Mishka, Michael Zwiefel, they'll, they'll say, th- you know, expose yourself to slices of the game. Um, cause you can't eat the whole pie year round. I mean, it's just, it's too much. And you see these kids blow up. It's, it's funny that you say that too, because, I've been saying for a long time, like 
baseball needs live at bats as a mini game because that's the only thing that actually is important. Either you can hit yeah. or you can pitch. Yeah. That's it. Because if you can't that's do probably, either one of those, you literally won't play the game. Like you'll be out. That's probably another follow-up podcast well, for or, sure on on, yeah, on skills. And I, the, the unfortunate yeah. thing with baseball is culture-wise, they don't have what soccer has with the whole concept of small side games, right? There, there's yeah, exactly. a lot of football, football sort of has that with indie work. But again, it's decontextualized. Um, you know, you, you get out bags and stuff like that. I mean, the, the bag in football or the cone in football or the ladder in football is the T in baseball. It has a purpose. Don't get me wrong. It, it might be a tool. But uh, but if it's like, you know, if it's uh, let's just I mean, if it's February, if it's if I'm ramping up for a season, I hope to be seeing the most live stuff I can. Get out the tea in November. That's fine. But but if it's February, April, May, and we're starting to ramp up for some real baseball, um, yeah, man, you you got you got to have those slices of the sport and have it actually look and represent and feel feel like if the athlete says this doesn't feel like baseball, it's probably not baseball. That's a great way to say it. That, dude, it's a great way to end it. This is the, you're brilliant, Taylor. I'm so excited that we got to have you on. Um, we're going to do this again for sure. Especially like the dude, I heard you be in your voice like 17,000 times this whole thing. So <laughs> yeah, he, Tyler, was great. Uh, he was great to me at, uh, we met him in Nashville. You do the pitching conference. He's, he's a great guy. Tyler's Tyler's a dear friend. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be, um, kind of part of a, a larger group of professionals that could just kind of challenge each other. And uh, you you said some very humbling things there, Cass. I hope I'm living up to them to my athletes if they ever see or hear this. But uh, it's uh, we are who we are in the moment. And uh, like you said, with with Coach at Hamlin, I'm doing the best I can every semester. And sometimes I scrap it all and we we try it again different the next semester. But that's life. All right, man. Totally. Um, well, so you're not really a social media guy. Um, so this is more of, I don't know, if you wanted to get connected with Taylor, what do you think, Taylor? Well, uh, I, I do. Uh, my, you're right, Cass. I don't post a ton on my personal, um, but I do put out a fair amount of content on our uh, our school uh, Instagram. It's at uh, UNW Strength. So University of Northwestern UNW Strength. Um it's a it's an assortment of training videos. Right now, I'm doing a um, a weekly video um, for home workouts for our athletes, and uh, and just some other performance type behaviors and tips for. It's mainly geared towards our athletes in our community. So you might not get some of the memes on my Insta stories because they might be Northwestern specific. But at UNW Strength is is my handle for work. And then uh, honestly, if anyone wants to email me and ask me a question, I'll throw my email address out there. My work email address is t. L Gish G I S H at UNW dot um, or UNWSP dot edu. Oh. There we go. So um, if anyone wants to throw that out there, T L Gish uh, at UNWSP dot edu. I'm happy to answer emails or um, further questions. It's it's great to be a part of conversations like this. I think as much as I probably soapbox today, I learned a lot from you guys and uh, and got better just by the process of kind of rapping on it for a bit. What uh, it, conversations are our favorite. We chat about this stuff all the time. And like Cass said, like, I think our biggest purpose behind this idea is we talk about this stuff all the time and we look at it all the time, but a lot of other people don't. Right. And so if sure. we can bring, you know, people like you that 
you know, you and, I, you and I have never met. Cass has had a relationship, you know, with you before and you come over and you just speak your mind. And, and I think those ideas and conversations are so important because this is the educational side of the thing that when parents are looking for answers, you know, they're actually everywhere, but we've got to do our best to help guide them to be like, hey, here's another example. Here's another example. So we're trying to do everything we can really Absolutely. To, to help people understand that, like you said, this isn't that hard. This is yeah. not that hard. You know, it it is very time consuming. That's the thing you got. To <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've taken so. the time. So hopefully we can. That, that's all I can maybe ever hope to do is help someone spend less time figuring it out. Definitely. Well, guys, appreciate it. Um, Taylor, you're the best, man. We'll definitely do this again. Cass got some weird phone calls. So we lost his audio, so no big deal. But please rate, review, subscribe. Taylor put his information on that. We'll put that in the show notes also. But I appreciate it, man. And, and you know, if you need anything from us or if you have any questions, feel free to DM me, reach out. You know, if you want to know anything that we're doing, um, you know, please do so. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Okay, I can't hear. See you guys.